Hi everyone, welcome to Wildly Becoming. I'm your host, Rachel Bain. Our stories hold the power to help others overcome. Join us each week to hear incredible real life stories from our guests. We are wildly becoming who God created us to be. Let's get started with today's episode. Hey, Wildly Becoming fam. It is so great to have you back with us today. Thank you for listening. And I am with the amazing Jill Glosser. And Jill is sparkling like always today. Rachel Bain. (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by Fortitude Coaching, the Fort by Fortitude, a gathering place for like-minded growth warriors. And I am thrilled to introduce our guest today, Sean, and he is the founder of the Fort by Fortitude. And he is going to share with us a little about his story. Sean, thank you for being here. Hi, Sean. Hi, ladies. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. I met Sean in a coaching group. Yeah, right? We met in a coaching group. Yeah. And then we. Yeah, the lines then. Yeah. And then we further connected through your coaching group and the fort. That's correct. And so your group of people are super inspiring, encouraging, empowering, and your story is so it's kind of like mine like which story do you want i've got about 10 of them and so one of the things that's really been weighing on our hearts lately jill and i have been talking about this and we had a previous podcast about this is suicide awareness prevention and mental health we've talked a lot about trauma and how it seems like you know we've got so many people like that are christians and they're oh we're going to heaven but it's like people are going to heaven who aren't healed. They've got all this trauma and all these things they haven't worked through. And so when Sean shared his story with me, I said, whoa, you are literally a miracle. It is a miracle you are alive. And Sean, I'll never forget that you said, but why, Rachel? Like, why am I still alive? And we talked a little bit about how God was definitely watching over you. So will you tell us a little bit about the beginning of your faith journey? I think it started Paris Island, right? Yeah, yeah, it actually did. You know, both of my parents were not religious. There was never talk of God or anything like that. Matter of fact, I never visited a church with either one of my parents my entire life. So when you get to boot camp on the first Sunday, the drill instructor said, well, listen, you can stay here and basically get your butt kicked for a few hours or you can go to church. So I would rather pick that option. You know what? One week into one week into basic training, and, and you know your mind spinning, you you know, it, your whole world is upside down. So, when I remember the first day we were going to church, there's really three options in in basic. You can you're either Jewish, or then you're you know Protestant or Catholic. And I had no idea. All I remember is when I was in school, all the rich kids were Catholic, and I'm definitely not a rich kid. So you know, I went to the left with, with the Protestant kids, and and all I remember is. <laughs> I remember just uh, just being in there and I was I was really in awe at the sounds and, and the significance and I guess you'd say the majesty of everything. I mean, it really, you know, it takes you by surprise the first time you kind of exposed to that. And, and I remember, Rachel, I profoundly remember this moment because I looked ahead of me and I, we were singing this song. Our God is an awesome God. And I remember watching this young man in front of me, he had his hands raised in the air, and his eyes were closed. And man, he was just in such a place. And, and that touched me. And what I realized from that point forward, every week in boot camp is really hard. And I remember 
all I got to do is get to Sunday, right? Just got to get to Sunday because that's, that's, I'm going to fill my cup, right? Wow. And uh, it was, yeah. And, and again, never, never read the Bible, never had, you know, the Sunday school lessons. I just went because it felt right. And so as a young Marine, as soon as I got out of basic training, the first thing that I did when I got home, I went and got baptized at a, at a Lutheran church when I was 18 years old. Oh my gosh, oh, wow. that's incredible. I was actually just digging through some photos and I remember uh, my grandmother was there and that's the first time my mother actually was at a church and it was when I got baptized. Really? Wow. Wow. That's cool. What did your mother think about that? What'd she say? You know, never really had those conversations with my mom. She was, uh, you know, she's a survivor, tough woman. You know, mm -hmm. my dad left when we were three and never gave her one ounce of support, you know, so she had to raise her boys on her own and without any significant career education. So there, there, there was not, we didn't have that kind of relationship. It wasn't love and flowers and, and we didn't, we didn't talk like that. We talked about what we had to do to kind of, kind of survive, you know? So what I did appreciate though was my grandmother was there because I think, her being a woman of faith, it touched her significantly more than I think it did my mother, honestly. So your grandmother was a woman of faith? Yeah, she was. She was. She was, okay. a, she was a true matriarch of the family, too. When she passed, it kind of everyone spread their ways. But I think, you know, the goodness in her, and I remember she, she would go to church, and, and, and that was really my only exposure. Because anyone I knew, and then I tried to correlate in my mind, right? I tried to figure all this stuff out. And I was reflecting on that, and I thought... My grandmother's a really awesome person and, and, you know, she has a relationship with God and, you know, all these people I'm meeting now have a relationship with God and uh, you kind of like the people you're around, right? Birds of a feather flock together. So that was really my first experience and, and, and that's, how I, that's how I found my faith. So what happened next in your journey? I know you shared a little bit with me about when you were deployed um, and how you really began to struggle when you came home from deployment with your, your mental health and your faith and. You know, it, it honestly started before that, Rachel, you know, I, when you, when you buy into your identity and, and I'm a guy that I buy in, I'm all in, I drink my own Kool-Aid and <laughs> early, early on in my career after the Marines, I was a mortgage professional. I was very successful, but like many others, I got caught up in the financial crisis, 07, 08, and I lost everything. And really having that identity taken from you, it, it wasn't really the loss of all the assets or the shame and embarrassment of the failure, it was losing the identity of who I was. And I made promises to my family that I couldn't really deliver. And that's, that's really when I decided, you know, I didn't, I didn't like my life anymore, you know? So it started before the deployment. And honestly, I signed my contract to deploy without even talking to my wife. Never even told her. Oh my gosh. You, know? you had shared with me, there were a few different times you really struggled with wanting to take your life to where you actually... That yeah. Yeah. That was the first time, to be honest with you. And I got this rescue dog. Sorry. Uh, nope, you're good. I'd rescued this, this dog named Brody. And uh, I remember the first time I honestly thought about taking my life. I was watching CNBC, you know, my properties were in foreclosure. I mean, the mortgage market was destroyed. I mean, there's blood in the streets and and honestly, I was right tied up in all of that. I had rental properties and my income was from the mortgage business. And so I had this dog, Brody. And I remember the first day I really wanted to take my, my life. He came up and just started annoying me. Like, you know, he had to go outside. And uh, so I took him for a walk. And that day, 
he uh, he just wouldn't go home, you know. And uh, that that was the first day that I really thought, oh my god, like that was kind of got in my head, you know. And so uh, I had gotten gotten that inside my soul, you know, because once once you let that demon inside, yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's it's there. You're not wrong about that. You know, we hear lots of stories from veterans. I'm a big supporter of our military and veterans, and I've heard many stories over the years of veterans that were going to take their life, and they looked down and saw their dog. And I can actually attest to that myself. My dog, Star, she passed away in October, but when I went through an extremely traumatic season and lost what I thought was losing everything and couldn't make sense of it, you know, I definitely know that that star also kept me going and thank you for sharing that Sean about Brody it's you do so much with service dogs too and and I just that's one of the things that I love about you is your vulnerability and transparency and and your heart to help others who are struggling in this capacity you know and that's the thing I'm I'm a people look at me and they see a big strong guy and yeah I've done some pretty incredible things in my life but for many years I was in a lot of pain I couldn't even I had too much ego, too much pride, maybe too much fear to say, I don't know what's going on. You know, I need help. But you're taught to be strong. You're taught that's weakness, you know? Yeah. Isn't that a shame that we, we do that to people as a society, that people have this stigma and they feel like they can't reach out and they can't get help and they get hopeless. And I call that hope sick and wildly becoming. Yeah. So you said that was the, the first attempt of many the others? first time, yeah. That was the determining factor for me to want to deploy because here's the thing. I didn't like my life anymore, and, and, I, and I wanted to go out in that blaze of glory. I wanted to die a hero's death. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to live my life anymore. I was done with it. And I didn't want to be the guy, the coward, to take his own life. So that's why I deployed. That's why I went in the infantry. And that's why when the opportunity to become a tactical explosive detector dog handler came up, I wanted to, I volunteered. Matter of fact, I bribed a guy to take his spot. Like I legitimately did everything I could to to literally put myself in harm's way. So this is when you, you signed up for deployment without speaking with your wife first. You just went ahead and did that. Yeah, it was a few years before we actually got into the rotation because of the drawdown in Iraq. And it was it was just an interesting time. So uh, I signed my contract in 08 and I didn't end up deploying until 11, 2011. But uh, it was it was it was a challenging time for, for me and my family. And by that time, we had a young boy when I actually deployed and he was he was two and a half when I left. And, you know, that's by that point, the decision had already been made long before he showed up, you know. And so uh, I had a lot of guilt when I left. So going going into that deployment after that span of time and then you're then you're being deployed. What was your thought process then? Did you still feel that way? Oh, yeah. I, I had an end goal. I was I was motivated. I'm the type of guy that when I set a goal, like I'm very determined and I wanted to die in combat. Like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have that noble, glorious death because it was much better than the life that I had failed at. Right. Those words are so hard to hear, you know, that you felt like your life was failing so much that the only way out that you could see was death. 
And I think the reason that hurts me so much, not as only because I care about you and I don't want anyone to feel that way, but I've actually been there. If, if anyone would go and watch oh, yeah. my last sermon at my last church, like I literally pretty mm-hmm. much preached that. So for someone listening today that if you're there right now, like there is hope. And I just want to encourage our listeners today, you know, if you've, if you've been there and if you've never been there, maybe you have a friend or a loved one that is there, like they need you. They need you during that time. So Sean, you went to Afghanistan you survived, thank God, and you came home. Did you still feel like a failure? Now, it was even worse. Because right? you didn't succeed and your plan didn't succeed. That's right. I did nothing glorious in combat. I survived, and that wasn't even my mission, right? That's it was heartbreaking. about midway through, I had a particular event that happened to me. And I don't want to go into too much detail because I'll never be able to get through this. But uh, we had a situation at our gate with a young child and uh, he was pushing a wheelbarrow and I was in the gun tower. And in the end, it was uh, just his dead baby brother, you know, and he was uh, just looking for help. So... You know, uh, when, uh, and I did not just for the record, I did not take that boy's life. It was very close. Thank God at the last minute, the guy in the tower with me noticed what it was, but it was very, very, very close. And it was well within the blast range. It was well within our kill zone. And I started having nightmares and the thing Sean so many veterans come back like that with with horrible PTSD that's not normal to see that the thing that it was that got me was in my dreams the boy's face was my son's wow and how do you come home and tell your wife tell people this is what I keep saying am I crazy and I didn't know until deep, deep in my therapy at the VA that, that it was because of the guilt, you know, from, from me leaving. About midway through deployment, I could not sleep anymore. And so we really only had access to medical supplies. So I was taking a handful of Benadryl. Um, just because the days would go on without sleep, you know, and combat is normal. I was around 12 hour rotations, 12 on, 12 off. But the, the, the Slovenians or the Slovakians or whoever was supposed to be manning the gate, they're on strike. So we would do our combat rotations. We'd also have to man the towers as well. So we didn't get a lot of sleep as it was. And when I actually got the opportunity, just, it, it didn't come. And when it did, I did not like, so handfuls of Benadryl and uh, I had conceived we had conceived when I was home on a on a leave we conceived my daughter and uh, my wife was carrying her the entire time I was deployed and so I, I just made it home in time she had gone late and I had gone early um, but when I was on my way home and as soon as you get out of Afghanistan 
Um, we stopped at a way station in between and it's an air force base. So you can actually drink. And, uh, I walked in there and you can only get two drinks with your ID, but I drank those first two drinks really, really, really quick. And I started to feel better. So I just walked around that night and anytime anybody wasn't looking, I snatched one of their drinks and drank that too. And that blackout feeling, no nightmares. God, that was glorious. Yeah, it would be so easy to become addicted to that numbed out feeling. Numbed out feeling. So when I got home and realized that I was yet a failure at even dying in combat, right? I mean, how does one screw that up? Because uh, it's pretty easy to die, especially if you put a little effort into it. Well, I uh, knew that I couldn't leave a, a new family, two young kids, a wife alone, but there was no way I was living my life. There's no way. I just bought a business. So I was successfully running a business. I was being the father. I was going through the motions. And at the same time, I took out a huge life insurance policy. You know, and that life insurance policy had a one-year suicide clause. So I set my calendar in my phone for one year. And I patiently waited and every night, I would drink myself until I was blackout drunk, just so I wouldn't have those dreams. And I couldn't tell anybody. You had to feel so <sighs> trapped. Some days I would get mad that I was just breathing. I mean, how do you, how do you get mad at yourself for taking a breath? So, the time came. <clears throat> And I'll remember it. It was, it was a beautiful night, rocking chair on the porch. I intentionally got in a fight with Aaron, so she was upstairs sleeping. Kids were in bed. I was downstairs, knee deep into a bottle of Sailor Jerry. So I got my 357, sat on the porch, put one round in, spun the chamber, threw it up to my head, pulled the trigger without any hesitation. Click. I laughed. I literally laughed at myself like, my God, can't you even get this right? So for those of you that don't know much about weapons, there are six chambers, one bullet. That night, I ended up pulling that trigger five times. Mm. Every time. <sighs> the fact that you are still here in that gun never... <sighs> went off is truly a miracle of God. The last one I knew that the bullet was that chamber, right? I did not have the strength to, to pick that gun up. It literally felt like someone was pulling my arm away. Wow. You were being watched over that day. Your life is such a gift and miracle. Sorry. I follow the, the Fortitude Coaching Group. Yes. And um, you're just such an inspiration. I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're even aware. 
I could definitely. Well, <laughs> you know. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know about all that. But what what people what people see is they see a guy whose life was pretty jacked up, and they see somebody who who is picking himself up somehow, some way. And there are different parts of that that people connect with. And in the beginning, I would publish a lot of what I was doing. And I took a tremendous amount of flack from literally every single person that was close to me, family, friends, um, loved ones. And for every 10 criticisms, I would get that one message. Hey, I needed that today. People need because, people like you, Sean. Um, because I know when I was trying to fight my light out of what I call the tunnel, I call it my tunnel, right? And for years, it was long, it was dark. I wish someone just reached past the curtain, right? Reached past the facade and said, you know what? I hear you say you're okay, but right? You're not okay. Right. I wish that. So now, yeah, I'm pretty aggressive out there about this stuff. I'm in people's face, but you know what? If I save one person, just one, I'm doing something right. Absolutely. You mentioned that you would go to the VA to get help. What are some other ways that you got help that our listeners could, if they are going through something like this, other ways that they can get help so that they don't feel so trapped and alone in the tunnel? Yeah. So everything, Rachel, <clears throat> as you know, is mindset. Absolutely. I don't care if we are talking about your, your, your business, your finances, your family, everything is mindset. And what I did is I was, I was literally throwing out all of my business stuff out of my office into the garbage. And I found an old life plan, one that I had created during a coaching, uh, you know, when I was being coached. And I read my life plan, I realized how far I'd gotten off path, off track. And so I went back to the playbook. I went back to the fundamentals, right? So I wrote down a goal for that day, just goal setting 101. Do not kill yourself. Wow. That was the goal. That was the goal for the day. And then it was walk the 400 yards to the VA. Just, just go to the building. You know it took me days and days and days and days to actually make it through the doors. And, and when I did, I ended up in a puddle on the, in the lobby. Cause I had such an emotional breakdown in the lobby of the VA. So start simple. What do you do? Start simple. Find somebody who has been where you are and is now in a place where you want to go. Trust me, that person will help you. They will give you at least advice. I've done and you've been through these experiences. You want to share the information. You want people to win. I want people to live. I want people to thrive. I want people to be happy. Even wrongly in my life, as a matter of fact, one of the people that I'm mentoring tried to kill me three years ago. He reached out to me, saw what I was doing, and I extended a hand. Now, he's on a completely different path. That's incredible. So, You also surrounded yourself with people who were winning, people that were living a positive life, productive life. You got yourself in all kinds of different coaching groups, right? 
Well, Rachel, I, I refer to that as, as, you know, your mindset is your garden, right? Mm-hmm. And the first step is really, you have to start weeding out the, the weeds and, and, you know, taking out the trash because there's litter inside your, your mindset garden. Right. So the first thing is, and, and I cut people out of my life. I mean, Rachel, you know this, I cut my father completely out of my life. And I didn't do that because of what he did to me because I forgive him. For, for not being a father to me because it showed me how to be a father to my children. But again, he wronged the most important woman in my life. So he's not allowed to be in my life because he showed no, no remorse. I think it's okay for us to have healthy boundaries. We can love people from a distance, but you're exactly right. There's wisdom in knowing when we have to put that boundary in place for our own well-being and our own mental health. You're right. I have nothing but love in my heart for the man, but I'm sorry. He cannot be inside my garden. It doesn't let anything else grow that, that, that would flourish otherwise. Right. That is, you're absolutely right. What I love most about you, your perseverance for one, that you took a horrible, tragic situation and you had a choice. You flipped it and you took it and flipped it for good. And you are doing so many, many, many good things with your life and for others, even for animals. One of my favorite projects that you do is you do things with service dogs, right? Our company, the one, my primary uh, occupation I am, I do residential mortgages and I represent Fairway Independent Mortgage Company. We are the largest purchase lender and our nonprofit is American Warriors Initiative. What we do is we raise money for service dogs to get them trained and placed with deserving vets. Now, last year we exceeded our goal and we were able to place over 101 uh, service animals with deserving vets around the country and give them grant money to you know, support that dog and health and uh, food and such. Aww, so truly a blessing that. to be with such an ama- amazing organization. That is amazing. I hope and pray one day that one of those doggies can be named Star. <laughs> That's my selfish plug for my fur baby I miss so bad. Now tell me about the kids camp. Like you're doing so many good things. I'm like, okay, where do we start? So you're also working on a kids camp for the summer, right? Yes. Here's the thing. The system that we teach and, and here's the, the, I guess the peek behind the curtains, all of the self-help programs out there, all of the coaching out there, it all works. It just people don't typically do it long enough for the habits to develop for it to take hold. So that's why I am big on accountability. And it's the same system, but it's also applicable to people at different points in, in their life cycle. So, for example, as, you know, a high school age kid, many kids aren't getting the guidance. Like I didn't get good guidance for nutrition or personal finance or anything like that. So what we want to do is have a summer camp here at the Mirror Lake Retreat in Milan, New York. It's absolutely gorgeous. 220 beautiful acres. And uh, two weeks in the summer, we want to have a week for boys, a week for girls. But it is competition-based. It is leadership development. And it is a whole lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we're looking to apply the same principles to, to our young ones, just to have a, have a lot of fun with it. That's incredible. What about your coaching group? The thing that I love the most about your coaching group is you have all kinds of coaching because there is all kinds of coaching, but you even have spiritual. And so if someone listening today would want to connect with you personally and maybe share stories or connect with your coaching group or maybe get their kid involved in your camp or maybe they know a vet in need of a service dog, how would someone connect with you? Social media, Rachel, and, and Fort is is basically our, just our, our open group. We 
is we challenges like right now we're doing the uh, 28 day acts of love challenges spreading love and uh, some people are still doing 75 hard um, but we are opening our paid group coaching because there's just so much demand and I have too many one-on-one clients so I brought on a whole team of additional coaches and we are we are doing some pretty incredible things. I'm going to be a market disruptor because I believe that uh, coaching is mainstream. I don't believe that you just are you, you know if you're an entrepreneur or a high wage earner you you can you can get coaching. I believe in a different model. I call it the high value low price model. So that by having a lot of different coaches involved, adding content, we can do group coaching for $44 a month. And that gives them workout routines, a fitness app, nutrition programming. And I'm talking from top level professionals. So we are going to be a market disruptor because I believe that everyone needs a coach. And as you know, with Fortitude Core 4, it's like having a financial coach, a fitness coach, a relationship coach, and a life coach all in one. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. You know, I'm a huge uh, supporter of coaching. So how would you hope to encourage people today that have listened to your story? And I also want to thank you for sharing. I know that is not easy to be that vulnerable and transparent. I just want, I thank God that you're here. I thank God for your life and so grateful for what God is doing in and through you. So how would you hope to encourage someone today that's listening to this podcast? Let your light shine, be authentically you. And no matter where you are in your journey, there is always someone just behind you. So while you are climbing your ladder, it's always nice to extend the hand backwards because we can all use a little bit of help. And if we're all in this together, many hands make light work. I love that. That's good. That is so good. Thank you, Sean, for being here. Check out Sean on social media. The Fort by Fortitude. Jill, as always, thank you for being the most amazing co-host. And thank you, Rachel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And as always, friends, stay stay wild. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. If you liked what you heard, feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Rachel Bain Ministries. Send me a message or leave a comment and I'd love to get back to you. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast by clicking the subscribe button. Remember, you are wildly becoming who God created you to be. The Rise FM Podcast Network.